Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and not everyone will agree with them. I understand that and I hope you do too. Thank you. No child is born evil. They're not doing this for no reason. In all cases, it's a response to their own trauma. From the outset, today's podcast comes with an important warning. The next two episodes are about childhood sexual abuse. My guest was offended against as a five-year-old, and although he doesn't go into detail about the actual abuse, he doesn't shy away from the effect that abuse has had on him until this day. And his message is very clear. Please never look away from child sexual abuse. Do something, anything, but don't ignore it. Anyway, thanks. And here's part one of my interview with Shannon Malloy. I contacted today's guest, Shannon Malloy, after hearing him on local radio promoting his new book, You Made Me This Way, which is part memoir, part investigation into the taboo and difficult topic of male child sexual abuse and Shannon's own experience of being sexually abused as a young child. In his book, Shannon also interviews other male survivors about their own sexual abuse and their struggles with their feelings of shame, anger and confusion. During his discussion with the radio host, Shannon spoke of his concerns regarding the lack of support services for both male victims and male adults affected by sexual assault, be that as a victim and or offender. And I know there's those of you out there who are going to say, who cares about the offenders? But we have to, because if we don't start dealing with concerning sexualized behaviors when they are initially identified, their offending may very well or likely, in my view, escalate into more serious sexual offending. 
Shannon also spoke of the hesitancy of males to talk about sexual assault committed upon them at any age and the burden of keeping something so traumatic a secret. Shannon reminded me that he'd interviewed me a couple of years ago about PTSI and he said he'd never forgotten it. But I can now understand why, because I have no doubt at the time of interviewing me, Shannon was obviously struggle with his own mental health, but obviously unknown to me and many others, I'm assuming. So this may be uncomfortable listening, but it's a conversation we all need to have to break the silence about surviving childhood sexual abuse and dealing with it rather than burying it. Shannon, in my view, should be put up on a pedestal for shining a light on such an until now taboo subject. We talk about sexual offences against women with so much more freedom these days because we've found that by talking about it, women have become more confident in reporting it and the community understand a little more about sexual offending. And that is why we need to talk about male sexual assault as well. So anyway, with that introduction, Shannon, thank you very much uh, for joining us on NFI. And who would have thought the tables would have been turned <laughs> to I'm now interviewing you? What's it like being on the other side? I know, incredible. <laughs> uh, you know, it's things things come around and it's lovely to chat again. And thank you for, for such a generous introduction. Uh, to be honest, Shannon, that interview you did on the radio it just struck so many chords with me, so many. But I think one of the main ones was that there isn't really a lot of support for male sexual assault victims, is there? Do you call them victims or survivors? I don't want to offend anybody, but um, I'm just so used to calling them victims. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's tricky. Um, I I say survivors just kind of as a as a default. Uh, having spoken to so many men, some men don't like to be called survivors. They like to be called a victim in, in recognition of what happened to them and the severity of it. Um, but mm. I, most people I've encountered prefer survivor because they are surviving. You know, it's it's not a perfect survival, but they're, you know, they're pushing on and uh, and, and what they've overcome is, is enormous. So I say survivor. Mm. Okay. All right. I'll try and, <laughs> uh, and, and use that term. But you're right about what they have been able to overcome, but you're in that boat as well. Yeah, and uh, and for a long time, I, I didn't think that I was. I, I reflected on what happened to me at the age of five and for, for several years on and off after that uh, as just, you know, something horrible that, that happened around me, not that I was a victim or a survivor or even that it was child sexual abuse because what happened in my case was a, a, an instance of what's called peer-on-peer abuse where... The boy was uh, a little bit older than me, uh, you know, he was a friend in the neighbourhood and uh, and that really complicated things even as an adult uh, and, and how I thought about uh, what happened to me and um, the consequences of it. And then I discovered in, in sort of my own journey to heal um, just how common that peer-on-peer abuse is. Mm. Yeah, and unfortunately it's far too common, but... I think the fact that we are talking about it um, so openly, and not just with you, I think in general, the public are starting to open up, particularly men, are starting to open up and talk about it and not be so, I don't know, let's say ashamed or 
uh, embarrassed. Uh, the more we talk about it, I think, unfortunately, the more survivors are going to come out. But I think we need we need to talk about it, and and it is very uncomfortable. I understand for a lot of people. Yeah, it is, and I, I think the the child aspect really complicates things, particularly for men and men who are heterosexual, uh, for example, you know, they mm-hmm. reflect on what happened to them and they feel that because the the offender was also a child, regardless of the age difference and the power imbalance, they feel that they were somehow complicit in this thing and, and, and it, you know, that, that they're a deviant or something like that. Uh, and that shame, got, you know, it's, it's carried by them for a lifetime and they really struggle with all of the questions that that raises. And I've heard from so many men who went through something just like me um, since since the book came out three odd months ago, uh, and these are men that many of them who have never told anybody what happened to them, uh, and they saw many elements of themselves in me and in the stories of the men that that feature in my book about you know the the struggles that they've faced for decades, uh, you know alcoholism, drug abuse, relationship problems. Um, some of them had problems with the law. Uh, you know, violence, anger, and, and and a real lack of understanding about why they feel angry all the time. Um, and they've carried all that on their own in secret without letting anyone in. Uh, and then they've read this book and, and, you know, incredibly for me, have reached out to, for the first time, verbalise what happened to them. Uh, and, and that, yeah, that element of their offender also being a child, um, had just thrown so much more, uh, you know, at them than uh, than is already, um, you know, on their plate. So mm. it's been it's been really interesting to hear from from those men when not long ago I I was one of them and I was just as confused and just as yeah ashamed. Mm. Oh, it's terrible to think, and this is why I think it's so important to deal. And I don't know how you feel about this, but. I think it's really important, as I said in my intro, we need to identify uh, sexualised behaviour and, and things that aren't quite right with uh, with young children. I'm talking about offender-wise. Yeah. Because what happens is it is a lifetime of, uh, um, well, I was going to say shame, but just dealing with the whole gamut of, the fe- of feelings. Yeah with young victims, it is a lifetime. And if we can stop that or try and alleviate it as much as we can, I think, you know, we, we, we need to try. Absolutely. And even even the people in, the, in this field that I spoke to, you know, my book is, is my story. It's the story of other men, but then it's interviews with a number of experts, including those that work with with children who are who have been abused, uh, as well as adult survivors and, and their struggles. But even those at the very front line who've been in this space for, for quite a while, they say, like, we don't know how to talk about this peer-on-peer abuse because it's so uncomfortable to think of a young person as being a perpetrator. And then, and then mm-hmm. if you do acknowledge that, what do you do? Do you do you charge them with a crime? Do you put them in a, you know, in a in a detention centre? Do you, what do you do? Do they do you shun them and make them an outcast? And the really uncomfortable truth is that no, you shouldn't do that because at the end of the day, this they're a child as well. No child is 
born evil. They're not doing this for no reason. In all cases, it's a response to their own trauma, whether they've been abused themselves or they come from a violent household or an, or an unstable household uh, or they've been you know, subject to physical abuse, whatever the case may be. The, the abuse by a child against another child is a response to something and that child deserves support and, and treatment, mm. but also they, they deserve support to not continue that offending so that other children aren't suffering. Um, it's the, but that's an uncomfortable thing for people to confront because <clears throat> in, in all, for all intents and purposes, that child is still a perpetrator of abuse and I think we're we're wired as humans to go straight to the default of you know if you've done something horrible you should be punished of course that's true but you know that child's a victim of something as well and and that it's it makes things very complicated um but that doesn't mean that that they should be just cast aside um nobody Mm -hmm. wins in that scenario no and and I would have to say if I was an investigator where in your situation where you're five and your perpetrator is eight, the first thing, apart from looking after you, of course, would be what is happening in that eight-year-old's life that they have um, uh, committed an offence against a five-year-old. There is something, I mean, I think we, we've all been through the, Oh, not so much. I'll show you mine if I show you yours. You know, you learn, don't you? As little kids, we're different. Boys have, you know, got a penis. Girls have got a vagina, all that sort of stuff. But, and that's natural. But when a young person is so, oh, what's the word? Let's say forceful or a a bit like it's not right. And we have to, we have to address that rather than, pushing it aside because there is something very unnatural about an eight-year-old, does, about, as you say, peer-on-peer abuse. Yeah, and it's, you know, <clears throat> it's tricky to, it, it can be tricky sometimes to define what is and what isn't. Um, the yes. American Psychological uh, Association or Society, I've, I've forgotten their acronym, uh, has has pretty clear guidelines on, you know, at this age, this kind of behaviour is appropriate and this kind of behaviour is inappropriate and it kind of goes up in age brackets. It's really, it's sort of, that that to me felt a little bit uh, prescriptive because, you know, not not all six-year-olds are are the same. Some are very mature, some are immature and therefore, you know, the goalposts might shift. There's a there's a great uh, an academic called Michael Salter out of Sydney who's devoted his career to you know child sexual abuse and sexual violence, uh, and mm. and we were on a panel together and he explained it in a way that I thought was really simple where he said you know a lot of kids will compare or will play doctor or play house or whatever that's that's mm. normal and that's innocent behaviour. Um, yep. uh, it's when it's when one of those children feels like what they've just done is horrible and they need to keep it a secret or they'll get in trouble. It's that shame element. The moment one of those parties feels shame, something's gone wrong and gone too far and and there needs to be an intervention, you know, like 
Mm. Uh, children who are innocently exploring or whatever, they don't feel guilty about what they've done. They don't feel shame about what they've done because it is natural yeah. and it is normal. It's when yeah. someone feels like they, have, they need to keep a secret or that they've done something terrible that, yes. it, you know, a line has been crossed. And I thought that was a really great and simple explanation um, mm. to what is a very murky area and a really uncomfortable area to talk about on a subject that's already horrible to confront for most yeah. people. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I suppose I'm, I'm pretty sure that when you began your uh, very impressive journalism uh, career that you could never have imagined that you'd be writing books about no. that pain, <laughs> pain and trauma that you experienced growing up. For instance, uh, your first book, 14, which is, I might add to the listeners, a bestseller and now being adapted for the screen, excuse me, um, that reflects on the guilt and shame that you felt growing up gay in regional Queensland. Yeah. And then your latest book, You Made Me This Way, uh, what is it that uh, inspired you to share parts of your life that you'd kept secret and felt so ashamed of for so many years? Yeah. Uh, both both were kind of accidents. Um, the first one, especially so. Uh, you know, a, a, a mate was at a lunch with a with you know at an industry lunch and was sat, sat next to my publisher and she mentioned that they were looking for new voices and journalists tend to make great authors because they stick to a deadline. And did he know anyone who <laughs> might fit the bill? And and he mentioned my name and I'd had the idea yeah. for fourteen, my first book, kind of rolling around in my head for a bit, and and so that happened and it was you know just luck and timing and uh and it and it did pretty well which was great uh and that mm. meant that there was there was ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Potential for a second book. But I think what 14 unlocked was from hearing from so many people 
with a, a wide variety of experiences, not not just gay kids from the bush like me, but but people who had had endured their own hardships and felt shame about it. They they mm-hmm. felt reading my book, you know, they saw parts of themselves reflected back, and that was a huge comfort to them. And so I think mm-hmm. it it reinforced to me the sto- the power of storytelling and the power of sharing really uncomfortable things, uh, not just to create awareness and break the stigma amongst the general population, but to give some comfort to somebody. Uh, and around that time, I was, you know, in, in therapy, just beginning for the first time to talk about what happened to me when I was a kid. Mm. And I had literally never told anybody this. I'd never verbalised it. Uh, you know, I'd thought about it every single day of my life for, for the better part of, I don't know, 28 years or something at the time. Uh, and yeah. and it had had a profound impact on me. And the more I realised just how deep that trauma went, um, the more I sort of thought that there, had, there, there has, yeah, there, there's so much to say about it, um, but nobody's saying it. And so why don't I, why don't I give it a go? Uh, and it really just began as kind of like a diary, uh, taking notes on these incredible men I met as I sought to understand more about myself and why I am the way I am. Uh, mm. And then, you know, like everything that I do with writing, it, it, uh, it became more obsessive. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then before I knew it, I was writing a book about this enormous thing mm. that, you know, I could count on one hand the number of people I'd, I had told at that point. Um, but, yeah, I, I get a lot personally out of writing things down. I always have, um, you know, whether I'm happy or sad or angry or scared or whatever, um, you know, my first instinct in any of those moments is to get a pen and a piece of paper and, and get it all out of my head. Um, and then the more I spoke to these men, the more I realised just how many men like them and, and, and I are out there feeling very unsupported with very few resources if you ever do feel like speaking up. Um, but then, of course, the sad reality is that most men who were abused as boys never tell anybody. Um, mm-hmm. When they do, it takes on average 35 years. That's data from the Royal Commission into, into institutionalised abuse. So that's that's like a third of a lifetime that somebody is suffering in silence. And not only is that awful for that man, but everybody around them pays a price, whether it's broken yeah. relationships or jobs not held down or crime or whatever, mm. um, you know, the yeah. health burden, the cost of the health burden, the mental health burden, everybody pays for mm. that victim or survivor not being supported. And so, yeah, I think we need to move the needle on men seeking help, uh, but we just need to talk about it as well. There's so many parts of this that are horrifying and they, they, they stay unchanged because they live in the shadows, whether it's the difficult conversation about the justice system and reforms on sentencing, whether it's mm. uh, a costly discussion about mental health care support and general health care investment, um, whether it's talking about educating children on sex and their body and whatever else, um, that's a conversation no one wants to have, particularly parents. Um, you know, there's so many parts of it that are horrible, but nothing changes if we don't talk about it. And the stats haven't changed. If anything, they've got worse, despite yeah. all of the awareness yeah. 
uh, and all of the money spent on, you know, safety and education campaigns, um, things don't change because they fester in the dark. And here we are. Like when you say that, I, I, I know with uh, women, it's generally around 23 years that it takes for them to uh, come forward or report it or talk about it. But, you know, you're pretty much in that you're in the, you said it was 28 plus years where you kept this to yourself. Yeah. That, isn't that like, that is a long time to keep such a deep. Yeah. Um, embarrassment, hurt, uh, trauma, like that must just do terrible things to your mind. Oh, oh so God. many. And oh. and the reason I yeah. confronted it was because the cracks were starting to appear. You know, I'd done a great job of of glossing over them through my late teens and 20s and, uh, you know, the my unhealthy coping mechanisms were, uh, I guess, were they were sustainable because I was young and energetic. Uh, and then as I hit my thirties and became not as young and not as energetic, the cracks, the cracks were impossible to plaster over. And so I had to get yeah. help and it was only, you know, my, my husband's incredible, but he's also a psychologist. So he really encouraged me to, to go to therapy for the first time and start talking about whatever was going on and, uh, and that was that was life changing and probably life saving in many ways. Um, but most most men don't feel don't feel able to not be okay. Uh, yes. And then there yeah. are all the other yeah. barriers that you know that exist in in mental health care, uh, whether it's mm. cost or or just access. You know, I live in Sydney and and am privilege so I was able to get in with someone and get in with someone quickly if you're outside of a city or you don't have a heap of money it's it's very difficult to access mental health care regardless of what you're struggling with and regardless of your gender as well I should point out um, mm. but yeah it's so it's tricky uh, and I was just I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time when when the cracks were getting particularly noticeable <laughs> um but yeah i think that's why that's why it takes so long and that's why many men go it alone mm. you know you said a couple of things there that i can't help commenting on it is so wrong isn't it that it's about uh how much money you've got as to whether you can get the right treatment yeah. like that that is just it's cruel in a way because there would be so many people out there as uh, that aren't like you, as you say, that you had a privileged upbringing, let's say, and you could afford it. But there are so many people that can't. I'd, it, it's just it, it's wrong yeah. that we can't help that we can't help those people. But you mentioned a couple of times there that the cracks were starting to appear. Yeah. What What were some of those cracks? Um. Oh gosh. Uh, if, if you feel comfortable enough. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, drinking, uh, I've always been quite a good drinker, uh, but the, I guess the recovery, uh, was harder <laughs> as I got older. Yeah. Um, but also yeah. like, I don't know, I started to become a sad drunk and a stupid drunk, you know, I, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you wait, no wonder though, really. Well, yeah, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, I, I'm in a yeah. small industry, so you can't get away, uh, with, um, with being silly <laughs> at functions and. You know, all, yeah. the, all the really embarrassing stuff. You wake up the next day and think, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Now, yeah. now I've got to face that person. 
yeah. I got I got briefly into the pokies. Um, thankfully, oh, yeah. Yeah. Th- thankfully, as a journalist, I didn't have quite uh, quite quite mu- as much money to lose, um, mm. and uh, and so that was short lived. But just that general sort of the general kind of distress that um, that I think a lot mm. of people who've experienced trauma feel. It's like this this you know ever present hum in the background of mm. you know fear mm. and anxiety and uh, you're just trying to find something to make you feel better, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, or just to cloud it, you know, just to 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 make things a little cloudier so that you know all of that horrible stuff isn't isn't in focus. Um, I've from from probably the age of five or maybe a little bit older as as things you know started to weigh on me. I've had this you know really nasty inner monologue that runs most of the day on a loop. You know saying the most horrible things mm-hmm. about myself, uh, yeah. and um, and that's you know you know logically that that's not right and that you aren't a horrible person with nothing to give to the world. But then, you know, the more you hear things, uh, the harder it is to, to drown it out. And on bad days, you start to believe it. And that really has, you know, it has a, has a drag on everything, um, you know, professionally, personally. Um, so yeah, yeah, things weren't great. I wasn't feeling very great. And, and my threshold for just the stressors of life um, got very low. And so little things felt very big. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and so it was – it just became a lot more noticeable and my – I guess my resilience became a lot thinner as, as I got older. I think it's kind of the case for a lot of people, though. You know, you things that are unresolved, you can kind of get away with, with just pushing on without help for a while and then yeah. – then yeah. you know, then you just get tired. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, yeah, it, it just it manifests so very slowly, and I think some often it comes out in a way that you didn't expect, or at a time you didn't expect, and you just can't control it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's almost scary how how it sneaks up on you. I think, um, mm-hmm. and I yeah, like I said, I was just lucky that that I was in a financial position to be able to pay for it um I, I kind of naively even though I'm a journalist and I've been around the news since I was I don't know 19 or whenever I started work um I kind of just naively thought that oh we the healthcare is free in this country <laughs> and then you're like well no no it's rebated uh, it's yeah, you go and yeah. see a psychologist and you get 10 sessions that are rebated and then after that you get like $40 back. That's not free healthcare. Mm. And, and no, if no. You, if you want to go and see someone weekly, $280 a week or whatever it is, is a lot of money. Um, and that's even if you can oh, get yeah. in with someone. I read a, read a story a few weeks ago that the average wait at the moment is nine months to get in with someone. Wow. They're just so under pressure yeah. and... Uh, and, yeah. and such is the lack of investment in in training for for mental health care professionals. Nine, if I'm if I'm in a crisis point now, nine months is no good to me. You know, like yeah. I, I'm sorry, but you're not going to last, are no. you? Like to wait to wait nine months. Some people just they just can't yeah. they can't get past the day that hour, let alone nine months. Yeah. And so we, you know, the government puts money into incredibly powerful advertising campaigns that tell us to, you know, speak up if you need it, get help when you need it. And then what? Like you, I, the reality is, is terrifying. Um, that's why services like Lifeline are, are vital. That's why, 
um, emergency departments are being overrun with people that are in, in crisis situations. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's tricky. Of course, it's you know it's I, I I don't want to dissuade anyone from coming forward and seeking help ever. Um, but the reality is that it's difficult and there are barriers to accessing that help. So yeah. The damage childhood sexual abuse has upon its victims or survivors cannot be underestimated. And as Shannon says, we have to address these issues rather than put them aside and instill in our children that if they are scared of someone or something or they don't feel right or they might feel a bit uncomfortable, they need to tell someone and not keep it a secret. The stats keep coming up time and time again. It takes on average 23 years after for a woman to report a sexual assault, and with men, it's even higher. In Shannon's case, it took him 28 years. We can all help in reducing these statistics by encouraging our children and the young people that we know or come in contact with that nothing is too difficult, embarrassing or humiliating to talk to someone about. Next week, Shannon takes us through his feelings of shame and guilt that he experienced at the age of five. I just can't get my head around the fact that a little five-year-old could have those feelings. It is just so foreign to me. It's so wrong. It's so sad. At five, all I was interested in was playing with my sisters and making mud cakes in our cubby house. At one point, Shannon says that at five... He was, quote, picked up from a carefree world and thrown into a world no child should feel, unquote. We also talk about his offender, who was eight, and the horrible, toxic, extreme violence that he experienced in his own home. And that is why, if we think or have an inkling a child is being mistreated or exposed to domestic and family violence, we need to stand up and do something and not look away. That is one way we might be able to reduce the frightening domestic and family violence incidents which police and other emergency services are attending too many times per shift. If the authorities become involved early, maybe, just maybe, we might be able to help in reducing another young person either being an offender or victim or survivor. As Shannon says at one point, no kid is evil or born broken. Shannon takes us into the moment that he realised in writing a book about his experience with childhood sexual abuse that he really needed to speak with the perpetrator and make that contact. It helped Shannon heal some of the psychological wounds that this man had inflicted upon Shannon for the majority of his life. And Shannon actually felt some empathy for the life his perpetrator now lives. That says a lot about Shannon, doesn't it? Uh, This isn't easy listening, but as Shannon says, it's a conversation we all need to have and not ignore or bury because it's too sad or too confronting to think or talk about because the less we talk about it, the more it will continue. Thanks and have a good week. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's... (laughs) 
the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. <laughs> Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 